You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. And welcome to the Radioactive Show, produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne and heard nationally on the Community Radio Network. Hello and welcome to 3CR's Radioactive Show. This show was produced on the lands of Ngāi Tuahuriri in Aotearoa for 3CR, which is located on the Wurundjeri Warong lands. I pay my respects to elders past and present from across these sovereign nations, whose right to self-determination is yet to be recognised by the colonial states that exist on their land. The Radioactive Show is distributed across so-called Australia on the Community Radio Network, and brought to you with the financial support of the Nuclear Free Collective at Friends of the Earth, Melbourne. My name is AC. On today's show, I'm sharing a talk by Lorraine Rickmans, member of the Serpent River First Nation and president of the Green Party of Canada. She speaks about conditions in the uranium mining industry in Canada and the rights of First Nations whose lands are being mined. She's speaking from personal experience of her family, and I'm sure you'll recognise the similarities to the uranium mining industry in Australia, where radioactive racism means First Nations communities are disproportionately impacted. This talk was part of a webinar called Nuclear Power, Insecure, Unsafe, Unsustainable, hosted by the Trade Union Advisory Group of UK's CND. It took place in June 2022. Lorraine starts by talking about her father's experience in the nuclear industry. I would like to talk about two, just two specific issues. One is about worker health and safety in the uranium industry. And the second item I would like to talk about are Indigenous rights and infringement uh, of those rights by the nuclear industry. Uh, So this image that I decided to share with you today is a miners memorial. It's located at Elliott Lake, Ontario, and it is, uh, it's a memorial to the miners who lost their lives uh, through industrial disease or industrial accidents in the uranium mines that were located at Elliott Lake. A little bit about me, I, I am of Indigenous and French heritage, and my father worked at Denison Mines in Elliott Lake. Uh, in the late 19, starting in the late 1950s um, to the late 1980s. Um, and uh, he, did, he did succumb to uh, industrial disease. He died as a result of exposure to radiation underground and also exposure to solvents and other chemicals that they were using underground. So, um, this is a, a little bit of a history about Elliott Lake that um, they began mining in the 19, in the late 1950s. Uh, they discovered a huge uh, ore body there called, uh, they called it the uh, Z, the big Z formation. Uh, and it was very close to Lake Huron. So it was north of Lake Huron at Elliott Lake. It, in the, 19, in the 1970s, so almost 20 years into the mine, uh, mining activity there, the workers discovered that um, there was a high incidence of, uh, of death due to lung cancer. And um, 
they created what the workers did was create a committee called a silicosis committee. Uh, so they were they were certain that something was happening underground to the workers, uh, and they really wanted answers to this. And they pushed uh, they pushed the United Steelworkers of America Union to act to work with them to get action. Um, and they it was in 1974 uh, for some strange reason the industry and the government presented a paper at a uh, health conference in Bordeaux, France, where the government and industry uh, recognized that there were health impacts related to uranium mining. So the steelworkers got wind of this. and The workers uh, immediately went out on a wildcat strike. So this was the first time they discovered that there was an admission and knowledge uh, that uranium mining ca caused serious health impacts to workers, but none of that information had been released uh, to the workforce. And uh, it was just by accident uh, that they discovered this, uh, this scientific paper that was being presented. The workers went out onto a wildcat strike and they uh, demanded better ventilation and um, control of the dust underground. So I think it's an interesting story that there was information that was controlled by government, uh, information that was controlled by industry uh, to the detriment of the workers. Uh, so, I mean, many people had died by this time before the information was released. It's, I think it's a difficult story because people, um, they think that, this is technology. They think it's, um, you know, it's really advanced technology. But frankly, I mean, it is just a kettle that boils water, um, but it uses a radioactive material to do that. The mines, uh, the mines at Elliott Lake uh, operated uh, basically uh, subsidized by, by the Canadian public. So the mines had cost plus contracts guaranteed prices. Uh, the whole industry was in, essentially subsidized by the Canadian taxpayer. And there were billions and billions of dollars generated um, by the corporations who operated there, mainly Denison Mines Limited and Rio Algom uh, Limited, which, is, uh, which was a subsidiary of Rio Tinto. So, what, what happened after the strike, after the wildcat strike, was industry decided that they would monitor um, health and safety of, of the workforce, which is essentially allowing the uh, fox to look after the chickens. So the workers were required to wear dosimeter badges and readings were taken. And if their levels of exposure were too high, they would be sent home for a few days until until their readings came down. But there is no, I think there is no exposure to radiation that is safe. And it is, I mean, the exposure underground is sustained on a daily basis. So it, there is a cumulative impact uh, to this exposure. It is no secret. Now the Ministry of Labor in Ontario will compensate miners 
if they die as a result of exposure to radiation underground. So that's a fact. Uh, it's probably a fact that people don't discuss that it is, there's compensable claims made by people who have died because they are exposed to radiation, digging uranium up from under the ground. I just wanna read a quote from one of the miners at Elliott Lake. And he said, where are you gonna go? You don't have much of an education, no schools. You're a DP, which was a slang term, uh, derogatory slang term for a deported person. You are a DP, you don't speak English. I didn't want welfare. I wanted to work. I didn't never ask no more than work. And this was Joe Zoljan, Elliott Lake miner, uranium miner. He spoke nine months before he died of cancer. And this was my father's experience. My father also told me, what am I going to do? I have five kids and a grade six education. He went underground. He went underground to work in the uranium mines. And people had an expectation that industry and government would protect their interests. And that was a misguided expectation. That was Lorraine Rickmans, member of Serpent River First Nation and president of the Green Party of Canada, speaking about her father's experience working in uranium mines. You're listening to The Radioactive Show, produced for 3CR and distributed across so-called Australia on the Community Radio Network. Next, Lorraine talks about the importance of understanding where uranium comes from and the impacts of mining it. So I think it's important when people look at building nuclear reactors that they recognize uh, what it takes to source uranium, what it takes to, to get uranium so that it can be refined to produce fuel for reactors. This is part of the chain. It's part of the nuclear chain. It's, it's not a circle. It's not a cycle. It is a chain uh, to which we can see no end. As a result of the mining, at Elliott Lake. So I, let me tell you that Elliott Lake is located in Anishinaabe territory. So it is the territory of the Anishinaabe nation. It is subject to a treaty that was signed. It's the Robinson Huron Treaty of 1850. And in that treaty, there was a guarantee that the indigenous people would be able to continue their way of life. They would be able to continue to hunt, trap, fish and gather in that territory. But this mining activity that occurred, and if you consider that these people, my ancestors had lived in this territory for tens of thousands of years. Parts of this ter territory are uninhabitable and unusable as a result of the waste that was produced um, from these uranium mines. There are 150 million tons of tailings deposited at Elliott Lake. They were deposited into 10 existing lakes, which the mining companies decided to use and they called them natural containment areas. So they displaced 10 lakes, 150 million tons of radioactive waste, which has been left behind. It is being contained by 64 dams. It is a uh, ecological concern and will be for hundreds of thousands of years, which is uh, 
uh, mind-boggling when you think about that kind of legacy, the commitment to manage, control, and contain uh, millions of tons of radioactive waste in perpetuity is the price that we pay. It's the price that people pay for nuclear energy. And it is not the price that all people pay. So it is, I think people are disproportionately affected um, by this kind of activity, by this kind of development. So particularly the Indigenous people at Serpent River First Nation who have had their water systems contaminated from this mining. So in the early days, the effluent was dumped untreated into the Serpent River watershed. And the impact was so great that by the 1970s, it was declared an area of concern by the International uh, Commission on uh, the International Joint Commission on Great Lakes Water Quality. And it was impacting one of the Great Lakes, Lake Huron. Um, it's, I think it's an affront um, to, um, in, in Canada, uh, particularly because we're in a, an era of reconciliation between Indigenous people and Canada. Uh, we're looking at questions now of uh, environmental racism. And, you know, was this, you know, was this a case of environmental racism where uh, it was okay to dump this kind of nuclear waste in Anishinaabek territory? Um, what happens now is the, um, the, mine, the mine waste is um, basically contained under a water cover to prevent it from oxidizing. So the waste contains, of course, radioactive material, but also contains sulfuric acid. And sulfuric acid was used to leach the uranium from the rock. So that is part of what the waste mixture is. So to prevent it from oxidizing, the government of Canada through an environmental uh, decommissioning decided to maintain uh, the sites under water cover and monitor the runoff. Uh, so that is, so basically has been left, the waste has been left in site, on site as is underwater with water being pumped uh, to maintain that water cover. So it's high, so the industry is highly water consumptive um, and the tailing sites were developed, certainly developed before there was any consideration or concern uh, for climate climate change or climate catastrophe or drought. Uh, so the science at the time didn't allow or allow people to consider what would happen into the future. So the, the dams are an ongoing concern for the people at Serpent River First Nation. And in the environmental assessment process, uh, the researchers said, basically, it's not a question of if those dams will fail, but when. So this is a question of an ongoing cost to maintain these dams in perpetuity to protect the Serpent River watershed from further damage. And if there is a release, if there is any uncontrolled release of this material, it is just a catastrophe. It would be a catastrophe so close to one of the greatest lakes in Canada. 
So I guess as an Indigenous person, I have to say that we as Indigenous people are ecocentric, uh, that we recognize we are part of the ecosystem and that we rely on our surrounding ecosystem to sustain us. We've been advised um, to limit any uptake of um, or limit our consumption of wild animals, limit our consumption of berries uh, from the area surrounding Elliott Lake. So it has been a, it is definitely a violation of the treaty agreement that was made in 1850. It's a long standing, I think a long standing issue um, because the, um, the waste is there for hundreds of thousands of years to come. So I think this industry has had, certainly has had an impact, a negative impact on the health and safety of the workers. It's had a negative impact on the health of the ecosystem and the lives of people who continue to live there. These people, the indigenous people at Serpent River lived in this, in this area before the mines were developed, before the mines opened. And they will continue to live there long after, you know, many of those miners are gone. So the mines closed in the 1990s. Um, the monument remains as a testament to the workers who gave their lives to produce nuclear energy. Anyway, I'd, I would just leave this story there, I think, as a caution uh, to anyone who is considering uh, nuclear development to consider that it's hazardous to health, it's hazardous to human health, and it's hazardous to ecosystems. Um, and it is, um, and there is a lot of secrecy and um, I guess untruth or withholding of it information particularly by officials who might know more than they're letting on and um, it's it's too high a price to pay so I'll leave it there and uh, if you know I think if you can go online you can find pictures of the tailing sites at, at Elliott Lake so you could see the um, you could see the destruction and how devastating it is and just one, one more small anecdote. Uh, when they started dumping this effluent untreated into the local lakes, uh, some of the indigenous elders went to the site and um, when they saw the devastation, and it is horrible because it's, it's orange, uh, you're seeing sulfuric acid oxidizing um, the vegetation around the site. And the elders, dropped to her knees and began to sob because there were no words there was they we had never seen our community had never seen anything like it before that was Lorraine Rickmans member of Serpent River First Nation and president of the Green Party of Canada she's speaking there about the devastation of radioactive and toxic contamination caused by uranium mining you're listening to the radioactive show Next, webinar host Sam Mason asks about cooperation between trade unions internationally from across the nuclear train. 
Is there international union representation that would allow for unions to become aware of and support each other on questions of impacts on workers and communities in different countries, rather than working against each other's interests by continuing to build new nuclear sites? And it would be interesting, I think, just to sort of link into that about, you know, what the discussion is in, in Canada at the moment. And obviously, you know, around, I thought, you know, it's very important you raise those issues of environmental racism um, and how that's, you know, the links perhaps between, you know, the trade unions and environmental movement and sort of links into that question about building protests. Okay, thank you for that question, uh, Sam. I just have to say that my, based on my experience, I would say that unions are also at risk of becoming politicized. Um, and I, I would say that because of what happened at Elliott Lake, Elliott Lake was, um, was organized by the United Steelworkers of America, which is an enormous international union. And when the mines closed in Ontario, uh, there was, an, there was a uh, moratorium on uranium mining in Saskatchewan because Saskatchewan produces much of the wheat. Um, the farmers called it the breadbasket of Canada. So they had initiated a moratorium on uranium mining in Saskatchewan. And in the 1990s, um, the steelworkers um, leaned on the new Democratic Party in Saskatchewan to hold an open-handed vote to overturn uh, the moratorium. And that's when the uranium mines opened at Rabbit Lake in Saskatchewan. And the grade was, uh, so the mines closed at Elliott Lake because the grade, uh, the ore grade was too low. They were mining one, uh, one ton of rock to get one pound of uranium. And so the ore grade at Saskatchewan was much higher and someone asked a question about health and safety. Uh, they were, there were some robotics uh, used in extracting uh, the ore at Rabbit Lake and it was open pit in some cases. Uh, so I, I say that unions are also at risk of becoming politicized uh, because unions um, rely on workers dues and when workers aren't working, uh, it impacts the union. So it, it seemed to me, based on that, what happened, that the steelworkers uh, were working to create an employment opportunity for their members um, in leaning on the political party that was in power in Saskatchewan. Uh, so it was, uh, so you have to look at unions relationship. Of course, the unions relationship to protecting ecosystems is really critical. It, it, it's not, necessarily who they are, which union they are, but what uh, I think what their um, principles are. So that's really important. Everyone wants jobs. There's no doubt people want to work, uh, but at what price, at what cost? And um, every worker has a right to free prior and informed consent. Um, so I didn't get a chance to talk about the disposal. Uh, so there is um, right now consideration for long-term disposal of nuclear waste. Uh, so what happens is that the, mine, the ore is extracted, the resource is developed, and then millions and billions of dollars are made by others. Uh, the product is taken away, refined and shipped and used in reactors. And, and now what we're facing as indigenous communities is uh, 
you know, people are looking for a long-term disposal site for this radioactive waste. So at the, you know, at the end of the chain, basically they're asking us to take back their garbage. Um, and it's, uh, you know, I think that's the, you know, at the end of the story that people don't also don't think about. It is, um, and I don't know if it continues that Indigenous people at the World Uranium Hearing in Salzburg in 1992 uh, issued a statement that Indigenous people worldwide are disproportionately impacted by nuclear development. So whether it's mining or waste disposal or refining, uh, it's having an impact on Indigenous communities. And uh, it could be anywhere in Canada, it could be Chalk River, could be um, the refinery, uh, the um, uh, chemical uranium refinery at Blind River, Ontario, which is next to Mississauga First Nation. There's no shortage of examples. And if, uh, I think if the world is interested in reconciling with Indigenous people, um, they will stand with us and call for an end to this kind of development. That was Lorraine Rickmans, member of Serpent River First Nation and president of the Green Party of Canada, speaking about the threat of nuclear waste being dumped on First Nations. That's it for today. You've been listening to The Radioactive Show, produced for 3CR remotely in Ōtautahi in Aotearoa and broadcast across these stolen lands known as Australia through the Community Radio Network. Thanks to Lorraine Reckmans for sharing her personal family stories of the impacts of the nuclear industry on First Nation communities and webinar host Sam Mason and CND UK's trade union advisory group who organised the webinar. This show and all our previous podcasts can be found at 3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive. If you want to get in touch with us, please email on radioactiveshow.3cr at gmail.com. We'll go out with a song by Alice Skye, The Only Version of You, from her 2018 album, Friends with Feelings. Thanks for listening, and here's to a nuclear-free future. I've only seen you with your head on By the water by I've only seen you by the water The only time I've only seen you by the water They always
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.